are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Our first reading is from Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Our next reading is from John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. All right. Thank you, Greg. Well, here we are, Labor Day weekend, the unofficial end to summer. And when I think summer, I think back on those childhood years of riding my bike around the neighborhood and building ramps out of whatever we could find in the garage. And I think of little bike trips then as we got older, and then we could eventually ride into town to mom's work. She worked at the church where we grew up. And as we got older yet, then we could ride over the bridge from Hudson into Minnesota, over the St. Croix River, and go to that ice cream shop in Afton called Selma's. When I think about summer, I think about being a kid with a bike and not an appointment in the world, and there's really no sweeter thing. When I got older, I moved overseas to seminary, and I found a different kind of summer biking pastime that I want to tell you about, and that was watching the Tour de France, this bike race, the world's greatest bike race that my flatmates in Germany really were way more into than anything I had known in the United States. And so we would have the race on across the multi-day event in our living room in our apartment, and that's where we would pass those summer days of the tour. And in those years that we were watching together as 20-somethings in that living room, it was when Lance Armstrong was on his comeback after surviving cancer. In fact, what made it even more intense there in our living room rivalries was it was Lance Armstrong versus Jan Ulrich, the German. And so we would go back and forth. They were the two best riders. And those were victorious years for Lance Armstrong. He retired in 2005 with a record seven Tour de France titles to his name. And he went down as one of America's greatest athletes for a few years. And then that all changed. He had denied doping allegations for years. And he was such a classy guy and polished and spoke fluent French when they'd interview him over there. And, and, you know, and he was the number one guy. So you figure people are going to say stuff and come after him. And he denied it all those years. But in 2012, the U.S. ADA concluded that Armstrong was, in fact, the ringleader of, this is quoting from their report, the most sophisticated, professionalized, and successful doping program the sport has ever seen. 
Now, when the report was released, initially he said no comment and wanted to protect his family. But a few months later, he sat across from Oprah, and he said in an exclusive interview, I view this situation as one big lie that I repeated lots of times. I know the truth, and the truth isn't what I said. And I remember, now I was back in the States when that was happening, it was like a gut punch. Now here was this guy that I cheered for and believed in and and believed, and it was a lie. And Oprah asked him, why did you do it? And here was his answer. It was a ruthless desire to win. And he actually almost would have gotten away from it. It was one of his teammates who was forced to give testimony That's how it finally came out. But Lance Armstrong said it was a mythic, perfect story, and it wasn't true. Does the truth matter? As a result, Lance Armstrong was stripped of all seven of those Tour de France titles and every other prize or championship he'd won during that time. He was banned from the sport for life, had to pay millions of dollars in fines, damages, and settlements, and he was disowned by the quite famous nonprofit organization he founded, Livestrong. Does the truth matter? I find it interesting. I was curious. I didn't know, so I looked it up. Where is Lance Armstrong now? He owns a coffee shop in Texas. But don't feel too bad for him. He's still a multimillionaire. He has homes in Austin, in Aspen, Colorado. He owns his own ranch. He was an early investor in Uber. It was probably a smart move. But listen to this. He founded a sports organization called WeDo, whose mission statement starts like this. Think of our theme word for this day. Listen to how the mission statement starts off. There are flashes of self-truth in moments of suffering, and we believe the true path forward is forged by breakthroughs of body and mind. And you can hear, you can see, a lot has changed in his life, but Lance Armstrong is still wrestling with the truth. We've been studying the attributes of God this summer, a study built on the very premise that there is truth and that it is knowable. And today we come to the truth of God, his characteristic of truth, his truthfulness. And next week we're going to finish our summer series with the theme of God's faithfulness. I thought that would be a great way to go out and send us into the fall. But today, this holiday weekend, it's God's truth. And first, in the words of Pilate, which we'll come to more presently, what is truth? I surveyed a number of responses to that question, and I put together what I gleaned from them, but in plain language. So here's what I came up with for us. The truth of God means He is the source and standard of what is real and what is right. Now you might say, well, that's God's truth, but what about just plain truth? You know, what about what anybody would say, even an atheist? What would they say that truth is? Well, that definition is that truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. And the biblical definition I've given agrees with that and yet acknowledges that truth also comes from somewhere. It has a source. It's not spontaneous, but it comes from God. He is its source and standard. 
What's different when we talk about truth by way of God is that it includes this aspect of rightness. You can see that in the definition. There's the component about reality and then the component about morality. And what I'm getting at is that truth is not just a preposition, but it is also personal. And with that in mind, we can also then say this, that God's truthfulness means He is trustworthy. There is a natural connection between truth and trust. God does what He says, and He does what is good. Think about taking your car to the repair shop. It's one thing if you know that the mechanic has the training and the know-how to fix the problem. It is an equally important question if your mechanic is trustworthy. In God, we get both. And we find that the intersection of his omniscience and his goodness is where truth lies. In Revelation, we see these words. These words are trustworthy and true. They go together. So that takes us into our first reading. We're in the Psalms for this one. The Psalms, and we're reading about truth in what is really the Bible's emotive songbook, full of these heartfelt prayers. And that's where we go to also underline this, that when we talk about truth today, I want you to understand how close to the heart it is. Because truth can get caricatured as something that is pretty cold, and hard. It's not a warm, fuzzy word as we talk about truth. It can seem pretty sterile and distant. It can seem conceptual. But what I want to show you today is in the Bible the beauty of truth and what it means not just to talk about truth, but to love the truth and to pursue it. And with that in mind, we'll look at Psalm 25. The psalmist knows this as well as anybody, and he starts this psalm by saying, In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame. And my guess is that some of us just found our prayer of the day right there. And I want to encourage you to write it down. We have a little note section in the bulletin or take a picture of it. Come back to it later. Make it your bedtime prayer tonight when you turn in. Put your head on the pillow. The Lord is trustworthy. And in this psalm, you see it inherently tied to truth. Verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Great back to school verses, by the way. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. You see in the psalm how trust is related to truth, which is related to hope. Can you see this? They're linked up together. It's related to hope, which is God's faithfulness that we'll discuss next week. And speaking of which, I want to show you the Old Testament word for truth. It's the Hebrew word emet. It's the word used for truth, and the same word is used for faithfulness. And we don't always see that in English because we use different words. But Psalm 57 Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, it's emmet. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. Psalm 91, another beloved psalm. 
says he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His emmets, his faithfulness, his truthfulness will be your shield and rampart. And it really is just going to depend on the context in the Old Testament as to if it's translated faithful or true. So Psalm 119 says, all your words are emmet, are true. When we get to the New Testament, we switch languages and we go into Greek, and the word for truth there is aletheia, aletheia. But the Greeks had a different word for faithful altogether, and it is the word pistis. It sounds like a bad word, but I assure you it's not. The word pistis, that was faithful. And yet we see them still very closely related. In fact, in Revelation 19, the rider of the white horse, Jesus, is called faithful and true. This word truth is all over the New Testament. And what I'd like for us to glean today is that it is never cold or harsh or impersonal. When the word truth appears in the Bible, it's a word of life. And one of my early papers in biblical studies, still in undergrad, was a word study on truth in John's Gospel. It's a hallmark of John's Gospel, and I think of some of the key references. Right away in chapter 1, Jesus is described as full of grace and truth. This beautiful, balanced description that we have of Jesus. You know, grace without truth would be mere sentimentality. Actually, it would be meaningless, really, at the heart of it. And then if you flipped it, if you had just truth without grace, for you and I, that would be crushing. For a sinner, truth and no grace is not good news. We wouldn't stand a chance. And in Jesus, you have the perfection of truth and grace present. In John 4, I want to give a narrative example of how this is displayed. John 4 is where Jesus meets the woman at the well. Maybe you know this story, you've watched the TV show, The Chosen, this is depicted beautifully. And he sees this woman, he speaks to her, he should have never been speaking to her, but he values her, he sees her, and he says to the woman, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And she hears that and she says, oh, give me this water. And what does Jesus say? He says, good. Uh, go and bring your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You have five husbands, and the fellow that you're living with now is not your husband either. Grace and truth. He has put his finger right on the issue, but it's not to condemn. It's to heal. It's to bring life. Jesus says in John 8, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we get to chapter 18, our second reading. And we have this iconic scene. This question, and then also later the hand washing, this iconic scene of Pontius Pilate. Jesus is standing before him on trial, and Jesus says, the reason I was born and came into this world, this is the Christmas verse right here. The reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and Pilate retorts, What is truth? 
And Norm Geisler, the Christian apologist, comments on this and says, Pilate abruptly terminates the interrogation with a curt and cynical question. And listen to this. And just as abruptly turns away, either because he is convinced there is no answer, or more likely, because he does not want to hear it. Is it any different in our time? The truth is not winning any popularity contests in the world that you and I live in. Some are convinced there is no answer, and perhaps many more who just do not want to hear it. But truth has always been a point of contention. We might think we're living in unique times. We're not. Augustine, back in the 4th century, he is the one who is famous for saying, all truth is God's truth. That was Augustine who said that. But listen to another line, lesser known, but that feels particularly relevant. When regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. Truth is foundational. God's truth is foundational. And if you start to mess with truth, what might happen? What might happen to a nation? What might happen to a person? The picture that you see there on the right of the slide is a familiar image across many countries and cultures. This, too, goes back to the Greeks. And in English, we usually call her Lady Justice. And she appears in places like courthouses or law firms or legal educational institutions. From place to place, she'll vary in appearance, but you're generally going to find three key features that are always displayed. First, she's blindfolded. And she's blindfolded because justice should be impartial in its decisions. Everyone is treated the same under the law. Secondly, she's holding the scales, the balance in one hand, weighing the evidence fairly and thoroughly. And third, Lady Justice wields a sword in the other hand, meaning that justice is carried out and enforced. And as Christians, it reminds us of Romans 13 that says, governing authorities do not bear the sword for no reason. And so the question I'd ask you as we consider this image is, how important is truth in our legal system? It's essential. It's essential. And once again, we see how the attributes of God here are intertwined, don't we? A few weeks ago, we talked about justice. That was our theme. An attribute of God is justice. And we said we cannot talk about justice without talking about truth. Right and wrong. Think about what a witness has to say in court before giving testimony. In Minnesota, any state in the country, the words will vary, but they're going to sound something like this. The judge will say to you, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And with your right hand in the air, you make that oath. And if you break that oath, and if you lie on the witness stand, what's that called? Perjury. Does the truth matter? Whether you're Lance Armstrong or John Doe, it does. 
Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician and a Christ follower. And he said, truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. You would have thought he wrote that yesterday. It's the 1600s. So how can we practice loving the truth? How can we learn to love the truth and to pursue the truth? And I want to leave us with three affirmations, three short statements that sum up the heart of biblical teaching on truth. The first is this. Number one, you can know the truth. One of the follies of recent decades, let's say the past hundred years or so roughly, is that truth can be relative, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. The line that we'll hear on a popular level is, what's true for you isn't true for me. But it's an untenable position. The second that someone would insist that there is no such thing as absolute truth, they have refuted the very claim they just made. And plus, you want to try this out in the real world. When the judge says to you, where were you on the night of Friday, September 2nd? You know, just try saying, well, that depends. The judge isn't going to take that for an answer. There is one answer to that question. There's one answer that corresponds with reality, with fact, with truth. Or let's say you're taking a math test, and the question is 7 plus 3. The teacher is looking for one answer. It's not 9. It's not 11. You can't draw a picture of a puppy in the blank space where the answer is supposed to go. Well, you can, but the teacher's probably not going to be amused. Or maybe amused, but you won't get the point. No, 7 plus 3 equals 10 every single time. Truth is what allows engineers to build a car that gets you safely down the road. Truth is what allows the bank to keep track of your money and you to trust your bank. Truth is what allows NASA to send people into space. And truth is not just a science thing. It is a moral thing. My brother-in-law is here today. It's his birthday. And let's say, just for his birthday, I was to pull my brother-in-law up here and I was to punch him in the face. Just lay him out cold. He flies off the platform. I, had, I decked him so good. We went to school together, so there's a long history. Well, you would say, that's, that's wrong. That's inappropriate. And I would say to you, hey, what's true for you isn't true for me. And you would say, no, that's wrong. On the basis of what? On the basis of objective moral truth. There is right or wrong. There is true or false. And it's not just for math problems. The truth exists and it is knowable and God intended it that way. That's number one. Secondly, the truth is for your good. It is not just cold, hard facts. But God's goodness is wrapped up in His truthfulness. And I think that one of the reasons truth can get a bad rap is that people have been beat up by the truth before. And more accurately, we have to acknowledge that people have been beat up with the truth by people who will profess to follow Christ. 
which is a very confusing message. They've been beat up in situations where it is all truth and no grace. They've been beat up and judged instead of receiving compassion. And that's why Jesus went after the Pharisees the way that he did, that you'll read time and time again in the Gospels. He is going after religious abuse. And on top of that, in many of the instances, it was also hypocritical. Do as I say, but not necessarily as I do. And this is the case when pastors or priests commit some kind of moral failure today. I was just reading on Friday, a couple days ago, about another pastor, prominent, well-known nationally, who's fallen from grace. And it's like it's another Friday, it's another pastor in the news. And it is terrible. It's frightening, for me anyway. I think, well, if this happens to all these people, and it's discouraging for the church. But these are the schemes of the evil one. You know, Satan might as well just leave the casinos or the bars, you know, whatever we might say, or, you know, those kinds of places. If he can discredit a pastor, if he can tarnish the witness of a church, if he can disillusion a believer and cause somebody to walk away, that's his game. So we can have almost this allergic reaction to the truth. But the truth is, truth is intended for our good. It means God's word can be trusted because he is faithful and his word is true. And you can either run toward this or you can run away from it. In the movie Catch Me If You Can, the character Frank Abagnale Jr. poses as, I don't know if this is the full list, but a great film. He poses as an attorney. He poses as a hospital physician. Remember that? I concur. He poses as uh, an, an airline pilot. The trouble is he's none of those things. He's a con man, which is why he says this line, an honest man has nothing to fear, so I'm trying my best not to be afraid. We've been working on an important life lesson at our house this summer, one that I had to learn when I was a kid, and that is, the truth will find you out. The truth will find you out. And yet, here's the surprise to it. You know one of the reasons why? Because God loves you too much to let you get away with lying. The truth is for your good. His purposes are good. And the truth is not meant to be restrictive or something that imposes on your fun. It is the freest you have ever been when you align yourself with God's truth. And that's where we finish this morning. Number three, pursuing truth leads to life. Similar to wisdom last week, you can pursue truth or you can live your whole life choosing to reject it. The choice is yours. But only one way leads to life. And the claim of the Bible is that there is one true God who sent His Son to die for our sins and then raised Him from the dead. If you are here and you are wrestling with that question, I want to assure you that you're in a very good place to wrestle, to seek, to find. And you're surrounded here, if you're somewhat new to the Y Church, maybe it's your first Sunday here, you're surrounded by a whole bunch of us imperfect people who have said, yes, I believe that that is true. 
that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and that God is trustworthy. And then once you're on the road of faith, you get to pursue God's truth. To speak truthfully in your business dealings, to make your schooling all about the pursuits of truth, to lead your children to know the truth of God's Word, and the list of application goes on. Does the truth matter? Probably more than we can possibly say. And I want to take us back to Psalm 25. Could we bow our heads and let's just turn the Scripture into our prayer as we close. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.